0: Welcome to the mini-break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, August 25th. What a day of action on Monday at the Western and Southern Open. Upsets galore, three-set battles, our favorite top seeds tested to the brink. It was just an outstanding day of tennis, and of of course, today, that means we get to recap all of that action. Now, because there were so many great matches, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different, rather than break down each and every one of them, because that podcast would certainly turn into three hours. We are going to be given our rapid-fire takes on about 10 of these matches we saw Of course, we're also going to run through the rest of the day's results, preview all of Tuesday's matches. It's going to be a fun podcast for you folks and joining me for such an occasion, the only person I could think of who could possibly rein me in on a day like today when there is so much great tennis to talk about. You, of course, know him as our Cracked Rackets Do Everything, former Denison men's tennis great, a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? I know we are really testing you as well. We were wondering what's the stamina for these players. How are your voice cords ho- holding up? <laughs> No, not too bad at all. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it was a really fun day of action on Monday. And, of course, we have so much play to break down. We want to get immediately to that. Of course, the reason we are able to do that here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And I'm going to keep it brief today because you all know the deal by now. To play well on the tennis court, you got to look good. you also got to feel good. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15, 15% off your order, free two-day shipping and oh, on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, go to aerobar.com, get yourself the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. You use our promo code CRACKED15, you'll get 15% off your order as well. Who doesn't love saving a little bit of money in their pockets, particularly if you are following along with us on our GSP. Ace of the day yesterday, Jamie Rothman and I came oh so close to hitting an underdog parlay for the ages. I mean, I just need to get your take. I know there's no such thing as a good loss in gambling. I feel like that's as close to a good loss as you can get.
1: You were very close. I was watching and uh, rooting for you. We'll say um, along the way, I-, I was not part of it, unfortunately. But uh, hey, I guess I didn't lose out too much. Um, you were close. And it wasn't a bad bet. I'll say that much.
0: I appreciate you saying that. Look, there was a thrilling moment, and I talked about this briefly on the Ace of the today, but this is where we get to recap all of yesterday's action so I can go a little bit more in depth. Tennis Sandgren over FAA was a pick I felt really—I mean, I felt great about the Pegula over Anisimova. I was like, that's a lock. Opelka over Schwartzman, that's a lock. And by the way, shout out to both of those players for playing fantastic matches uh, uh, on Monday. It was just really good tennis from both of them. Sandgren FAA was a battle. And I thought if you watched the match, actually, you could tell, even though he lost that first set— Tennis Sandgren had so many breakpoint opportunities, was in every FAA service game. He made the match physical. And so, you know, it went to a third set breaker, right? He was down a majority of the third, obviously, and then he ends up breaking. It's in a breaker. Simultaneously, my quarterfinals pick, Pablo Carreno Busta, in a first set breaker, a battle with Karen Hachinov. There was a streak of points, Jamie, where Tennis Sandgren won the third set breaker. Pablo Carreno Busta guessed right on a forehand a uh, high volley almost overhead from Hatchnoff hits this unbelievable backhand down the line to save set point and I'm screaming to the roof westoff goes dude what is going on I was like you don't understand right now I am in the zone
1: it was incredible well happy it gave you some more entertainment but uh out of any of those matches that were part of the almost hit for you and Rothman where do you want to start
0: Uh, see, that's why you're on the podcast today, to rock and roll. Well, I don't want to start on one we almost got, or one we got right. I think we have to start on a match. I'm going to be honest. I was just blatantly incorrect about, it was, in my opinion, the headline match of the day on the men's side, and I promise the headline match on the women's side, Serena Williams, we will get to next, but... Look, this is the Great Shot Podcast, and yes, it's a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. I'm sorry for sound- sounding this arrogant, Jamie. It's also an Alex Gruskin production. I get to run the show here, and if you think we're not talking about Alex Zverev versus Andy Murray first, a match, literally, the tennis god said, Alex, you have been so disciplined about your quarantining. You wear a mask everywhere you go. The m- moment you walk into the house, you wash your hands. You have not been spreading the virus. You have not been putting yourself in compromised positions. We're gonna going to reward you with Murray's Virev round one and now at first I thought it was a reward then I started to think is this a punishment then I actually watched the match Jamie Andy Murray obviously taking this decision over Alex Virev 6-3-3-6-7-5 obviously I have a lot of thoughts to say on this match I'll save my big rant I'll get it out after but first your reaction to this result
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I I enjoyed watching this match. Um, There were stretches of it that were uglier than I would like. Um, But, you know, someone like Zverev who hasn't been at his best recently and someone like Murray who's really just coming back, I mean, I didn't expect this to be um, the best of both of them. But entertaining from start to finish, um, really the only disappointment for me was that finish uh, because Zverev had a bit of pressure on him and pretty much just crumbled at the very end there to give the veteran Murray a win.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the numbers that stick out to me, and again, we're trying to rapid fire through all of these matches, but 31 winners for Zirev, 49 unforced errors, 27 of those unforced errors came on the forehand side, it was so clear, that's the side Andy Murray was targeting, he served to that wing, he would play points to that wing, and to Alex Virov's credit, he was able to do a lot of dictating in this match, and I think, you know, why I continue to be in love with Alex Virov, very much why I was in love with Andy Murray early in his career, you can see all of the pieces. Athletically, I think Zverev looks like he put on another 5 to 10 pounds of muscle. He looks really fit, and we saw him on the Adria Tour. We saw him play all these things. Uh, he, did, he was disciplined in this match. He tried to, dis- uh, to attack. He tried to you know move forward and take advantage all of all the things you want him to get better at throughout his career, and yet... 31 winners against 49 on four stairs. That's not patient enough. 11 of 23 at the net. He's trying to move forward. He's still not great at moving forward. There are some choice drop shots he hits, and you're just like, you know, what are you doing, Alex Verov? And then, of course, the thing that stands out above anything else, uh, the obvious thing, you know, the serve issues. 11 double faults, 20 of 44 on second serve points, 53% first serve percentage. The same issues continue to exist, and it's frustrating because... Again, you watch him play for five minutes, and you're like, that's the best backhand I've ever seen anyone hit not named Novak Djokovic. But the the problems still exist, and I think he gets better. But, I mean, to lose this match to Andy Murray, and I'll get to the Murray on the flip side, but I don't know. How concerned are you about Alex Virov now? I will say, I think it's his fifth straight first-round loss at the Western and Southern Open. How concerned are you for him heading into the U.S. Open?
1: No, I mean, there's a little bit of concern here. But, uh, I mean, realistically... To me, this is more a story about Andy Murray. Uh, the, the Zverev piece of this is a bit disappointing, yes, but to me it's about Murray. It's like, okay, can he really compete with some of these top guys? Um, and the answer after after yesterday is yes, he can Now, how far that will extend, what he'll look like you know, deep into a major, I think those are big question marks that I'm not ready to sign off on. Uh, but in terms of the level of play, I mean— There were some high levels between Murray and Zverev there. And look, Zverev, this isn't a horrible loss for him. As I mentioned, he had that sort of crumbling at the end there with the double faults, something that has plagued him in recent years. That being said, I think there's a lot of positives he could take from this. Um, A lot of this match was on his racket. He was able to dictate well, just in the big moments, folded a bit. Yeah, and...
0: Look, I, I'm really glad you said that, and I texted you last night because I think it's safe to say, and this is not going to be news to any of our Cracked Rackets fans, these are my two favorite players in the men's game. I just am fascinated and permanently by their game styles, by the way they compete, what I think both of them were capable of in their primes on a tennis court. And yeah, so I, I'm glad you say, to, to Andy Murray's credit, you just see... This is why he was a top five player for so long, you know, Winning Ugly, the Brad Gilbert book. That's the Andy Murray story, right? And the hairline reflects that. But just the way he stays alive, makes that extra ball for a guy who has two fake hips in and just so many injuries throughout his career, for him to be moving at this level, for him to be that physical, compete that well for two and a half hours against someone in Alex Zverev, who clearly is in their physical primes, who was able to make that extra ball just as easily... It was amazing to see. And I know this is a hot take. I actually, like post-surgery Andy Murray's forehand better than pre-surgery Andy Murray's. I thought, again, the way he competed, how disciplined he was with his game plan, targeting and serving to that Alex Sverev forehand side was really well done. I thought he went after his forehand as well. That was the plus one ball he got. He would turn into it. He would just really, again, the way he's going after that shot, he's so much more decisive with it now, partly out of necessity, but I also thought he moved well. You're clearly going to see more backhand slices from this version of Andy Murray than we would have five, you know, six, seven years ago, but just the way he's moving, he would track down some of those drop shots, and Zverev would test him to say, I don't think you can track this down, and I mean, it's not like the, you know, for Murray, it was a perfect storm, right, because his first two opponents are two opponents that can't, oh, Zverev, I guess, can hit you off the court, but both Zverev and Tiafoe are willing to get into longer rallies, make a match physical, and that favors Andy Murray. I'm fascinated to see now he faces Milos Raonic, a big hitter, how he's going to adjust to you know a quickening of the pace, but for Andy Murray, yeah, 16 winners against 31 unforced errors isn't great, but overall, you look at his performance, and I mean, he was just so good on the first serve once again. I believe he won, what, 73% of those points. He put himself in a position to win, or sorry, 61% of those points, 64% of his second serve points, saved eight of 11 break points. You know, Alex Vera very well could have won this match, but Andy Murray was the better competitor, and that's why he got over the hump.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what he does. You you mentioned the Reionich matchup. That's going to be an interesting one because so much of it is just going to be out of Murray's hands. So we'll see what he can do there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I also, just to echo your sentiment, he's playing well. And my friend, Mr. Don Thieneman, Dalton's father, our loved Patreon here at Cracked Rackets, texted me yesterday and he said, should we start putting money on uh, Murray for the U.S. Open? And I said, absolutely not, partially because I would never jinx him with my wagers. But, you know, I'm not there yet. I agree with you. Three out of five, a whole nother beast. But... Two really good wins from Andy Murray. It's really encouraging to see, especially considering, you know, he's already retired once in his career, and now he's shown this level of play. Really, really exciting stuff. As a Murray fan for Zverev, you're right. It's back to the drawing board. But Andy Murray is not our only past champion who was tested to the brink yesterday. We also saw Serena Williams push to a third set breaker. I believe it's the second straight third set breaker she played. I saw a stat, I think it was like the first time since 2005 that's happened, in her career, something crazy like that. But ultimately, she was able to get over the hump as well as she took on Roos. It was a 7-6, 3-6, 7-6 win for Serena Williams. She won that third set breaker, 7-0 uh, as well, 7-0, 7-love, however you want to say it. Anyway, she blanked her, bageled her in that third set breaker. Three hours on court for Serena. We continue to see her tested. So many three-set matches in these first two events she's played, Jamie, you your thoughts on Serena's performance?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it had its ups and downs. Um, and I feel like that's pretty typical for a Serena performance that we've been talking about recently, right? There, there's some good moments and there are some not so good moments. In um, this one, it was a classic case of Serena being Serena stays in a match long enough so that her better game finally shows up. Um, and hopefully, you know, sort of a byproduct also. The, guy, the person across the court gets a little bit more scared, a little bit more tight. Trying to close out a match against Serena Williams is no easy task, and so suddenly there's a bunch of nerves involved. And I think that's exactly what happened here because if you were watching along, listen, say what you will about the first and second set, some really good tennis across the board. But in that third set, Serena, she was in trouble. Um, and you know it really could have been against her yet it's hard to close her out like I said before so she stuck around she stuck around she stuck around she got the big points when she needed to and once it got to the breaker I mean I think that's just a mental breakdown on the side of ruse here's like oh my god this is already in a third set breaker um, and once Serena wins a couple of points you know she steamrolls her way to seven0.
0: yeah I, you have to start with the positives for Serena Williams 14 aces against one double fault. Check. 47 of 57 on first serve points. One. Check. 7 of 11 break points saved. Check. The way she competed in that match, she was, you know, up 3-0 in that third third set. And then, you know, she ended up being down in that third set and had to break Roos, I believe, to stay alive in the match, was able to Mm -hmm. do so and just... That's vintage Serena Williams, right? And even though, again, from a tennis perspective, it's very fair to say she has not played well these first two weeks in return in August. Not to say she's played poorly, but she just, this is not Serena Williams 2011, 2013, right? Who's just blitzing her way through matches. Um, she has still competed really well. She's found ways to win. And to spend three hours on court, you could tell she was struggling physically. Didn't matter. She found a way to get to, through the match, you know. Uh, but there are some some concerning things as well. You know, 17 of 43 on second serve points, that's an issue. It's clear Roos, who played a lot deep center during the match, just wanted to make a lot of balls early on, and then started working Serena to the outer third, starting moving her, got her stretched. It was a really good game plan from Roos. I don't know, man. I, I mean This Serena Williams is competing as well as she ever has. On the flip side, there are a lot of really good women right now on the WTA Tour, and I just think it only takes, you know, if one of them is hot, they can definitely beat Serena Williams right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned the serve as well because, as we know, look, her first serve is going to be effective. A lot of it is just a matter of how many first serves she can put in, um, right? Mm -hmm. And so in this case, you know, when you have to rely on the second serve a bit more, It was a little shaky, Um, and it didn't do quite as much as it needed to. You already mentioned it, 17 of 43, that's 40% for Serena on the second serve, and you mentioned some of those other stars on the WTA, they're going to eat her alive on her second serve if she can't um, just do a bit more with it, and then also hopefully up the first serve percentage so she doesn't have to rely on the second serve quite as much, but um, you know, regardless, I think Serena, if she's serving well, can beat anybody on the tour. Um, That's something that's been true for quite literally decades now. Um, I think it still holds true, but if it's not a clean performance, especially as we head into the latter stages of this tournament and then the US Open, um, she could be in for a rude awakening.
0: Yeah, Root Awakening. No Casper Root. Um, But yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm just looking at these U.S. Open women's odds. Yeah, that was a bad joke. Hey, great shot. I get to throw one in every so often. Um, Not every so often, you would say. But here are the odds right now to win the U.S. Open. Number one, Naomi Osaka plus 375 Serena Williams plus 550 Karolína Plíšková plus 1000 Sofia Kennan, plus 1100 Kvitová plus 14 Sabalenka plus 14 and then Azarenka Keys Muguruza all 20 to 1 odds I throw a name in a hat and pick it out right now I I legitimately and we we've done a lot of US Open preview content I still have no idea Who I'm going to pick to win the U.S. Open? I think Serena's in the mix. Do I think she's my second favorite at this point? No, I really don't. And I just, you know, it's interesting to say because you're right. The way she's competed, it's just you can't deny Serena Williams. And in a in a tournament where there's a lot of uncertainty, don't you want to just go to the sure thing? Isn't Serena Williams the one who's proven time and time again she can string five, six, seven matches a row at a Grand Slam, and then all of a sudden she's in the winner's circle. So yeah, it was just, you know, it was a weird match from Serena, but certainly for her, again, to persevere to get that win, uh, that's big for her as she tries to gain confidence moving towards the U.S. Open. All right, let's get to our next match. I alluded to it at the beginning. It was a really fun one to kick off the day's events. Tennis Sandgren, 6-7, 6-2, 7-6 over Felix Auger-Aliassime. You watch Tennis Sangren, It's so clear how in shape he is. I would argue right now he is probably the most fit the most match tough player on tour was so good during world team tennis played utr played jc Aragoni's events that match toughness showed in this one jamie where he came back from a breakdown to ultimately get it to a third set breaker and win the match i thought it was a really impressive performance what'd you think
1: so in terms of a match Yes, I was entertained the whole time. However, there was a lot of this match with just kind of sloppy play. Um, You know, I don't think, yes, both of them competed well, and particularly on the side of Sandgren, he did a phenomenal job of making sure he stayed in this match and getting across the finish line, but um, both of them had chances that they kind of blew. Uh, Sandgren, there were many times where he had opportunities to break, kind of blew it, then it ended up going to the breaker, and yes, he gets it done eventually in the third set there, but there were moments where there's just way too many sprayed forehands, and yeah, they're both going after it. But how many times did I see Sandgren try and slap a forehand return, you know, hundred miles an hour and miss by ten feet, or how many times did I see FAA, you know, have a shot completely lined up after after crafting a beautiful point? Sandgren is tracking things down, and he just botches the winner. So, yes, I think in terms of competition, this was a great one to watch. In terms of their tennis, I couldn't rate either of their tennis. I don't know above. Let's say a B minus. I don't know. It just wasn't that sharp from either of them.
0: Yeah. Look, 17 winners, 45 unforced errors for Sandgren, 18 winners, 58. 58- Unforced errors for FAA. Exactly. Thirty-two of those unforced errors for FAA came on the forehand wing. This is where I want to give credit to Sandgren, though, because yeah, it's easy to pick apart what they were doing wrong, but Sandgren competed. I mean, he just kept making that extra ball. He's so quick around the court right now. He's so confident in his game. I mean, there were times when I think this match was on court ten, he was legitimately playing on court twelve. Like he was just that far back, just making that extra ball. And you know, he he did a really good job of making felix uncomfortable of getting him in the outer thirds of making felix feel like i need to go for a winner here otherwise this point's going 12 more shots and even on a day when sandgrin's producing 45 unforced errors i feel like the fact that he was able to create that aura he deserves a lot of credit for the way he competed
1: i think that's fair look and as i mentioned this was a great competition both of them had moments and, and streaks where they were locked in in this match and that's great but at the end of the day this is a best of three match and there were over a hundred on four stairs. Yeah,
0: I will. Um, I will and,
1: yeah. yeah. No, I will that, just. That that's just kind of is what it is. Speaks for itself in that regard.
0: Yeah, I will just add this. Draw dependent, of course, but if things break appropriately, Tennis Sandgren could very well make his fourth round of 16 at a major in his career in New York. I just, the guy is that match tough. Like, yeah, David Goffin, Tennis Sandgren right now, and I'm saying this as Goffin just dropped the 6-4 first set to Jan Leonard Strouf. Like, who do you feel more confident in?
1: I don't know. I mean, that—that's a tough one. I, if you're—if you're asking me to pick right now, I'd probably still say gofen but there's there's a very real chance that Sandra could win a match
0: like that. Which is why I say I agree. The fact that they're in the same breath right now, that speaks to how highly I feel about Tennis Sandgren, sure. the tennis player, and what he's able to do on the court. It's going to be really fun to see him test Djokovic tonight, uh, but we will talk about that a little bit later. Okay, from here, we're going to go even more quickly because, yeah, those were the headline matches. They deserved you know a little bit more depth, but a couple of other three-setters or you know fun matches to get through throughout the day. Marie Buzkova player i have been quite fond of i keep saying that on these mini break podcasts the reason i do so is because she continues to win today it was two six seven five six two over kvitova I am such a fan of the WTA YouTube channel. I think their highlights are so much better than anyone else out there in the tennis world. They just really are exceptional. They get them out quickly as well. They showed maybe two points of Buskova in this match where she succeeded. There was a lot on Kvitova's terms, a lot of big Kvitova forehands, her moving forward, but I continue to say it. Marie Buzkova is the sort of athlete who in this sort of circumstance can just make it. It's the tennis sangren equivalent, I suppose, on the women's side. I was really fond of her performance. What'd you think, Jamie?
1: Yeah, I think this was a good one all the way around it. You, you mentioned it right at the beginning there where a ton of this was on Kvitova's racket. And if you were watching this match from the start, um, Kvitova had all the momentum. So a bit surprising to see it turn the way it did. But ultimately, credit goes to Buskova, right? She makes Kvitova hit two, three, four extra balls. She's tracking things down. She's switching up the rhythm, the pace, the, the ball flight. So she's doing a lot of things right and making Kvitova uncomfortable. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Kvitova probably wins this match in straights if she's just a bit cleaner on the attack. Uh, but ultimately, gives Buskova some chances to stay in this match, and Buskova flips the script in the third.
0: Yeah, I don't think Buzkova has the upside of some of the other youngsters like a Yastremska or a Sabalenka, but I think she's going to be really good for a really long time. And again, given the lack of match toughness, the lack of confidence, that's two things she has. And she's as fit as any player on tour. She can get hit off the court, but she's going to make that extra ball, ask that extra question of you. Uh, you know, in a, you know, she only had four break points. She converted all four. She faced nine. She saved six of them. So those are the numbers you love to see if you're Marie Buzkova. And, you know, now she's got another really tough one, I believe, against Annette Conteve, another player I've been, you know, very high on as of late. And I think Conteve has the weapons to hit her off the court, so I'm really interesting to see how Buzkova competes there. Another player who clearly has weapons to hit their opponent off the court, Riley Opelka, who we picked yesterday. It was the one thing we got right for certain. He was an underdog against Diego Schwartzman in odds only. Uh, you know, Opelka takes the match 6-3, 76. 32 winners against 45 unforced errors for Schwartz uh, for Opelka, ten winners against twenty-one unforced errors for Schwartzman. You look at the serving numbers, of course, for Riley Opelka. You know, he only makes fifty three percent of his first serves, but thirty-three of forty one on those points. Sixteen of thirty six on second serve points concerning, but he goes three of four on breakpoint chances. Your thoughts on the American Big Man, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of this match is just exactly what we expected. Um, You know, we, we've talked about this throughout the week now about the big servers and the advantages that they have. So we don't need to rehash that once again. Um, You know, it, In in these sort of situations, sometimes you just feel for a player like Diego Schwartzman because so much of this is just so far out of his hands, right? I mean, this is about Opelka, his serve, and the big shots he's going to be able to come up with or not come up with. So there's a certain element of discomfort that comes with playing someone like Opelka because you have to accept that a decent amount of this you just can't control, right? And if Opelka's on fire, that's going to hurt you in more ways than one. And, you know, Opelka, no, he didn't play his best. He didn't serve his best but it was pretty darn good, and it was good enough to get him across the finish line. Yeah,
0: I mean, for Opelka, you like that 32 winners against 45 on forced error number because it means he was taking chances. He was dictating. He knew he was going to be able to hold serve. He just had to create some break chances for himself, be aggressive on the return, and during that Opelka-Schwarzen match, you know, Millman was playing Isner simultaneously, and I had them on the split screen because I wanted to just watch the two big men. It's obviously so easy to compare their games, but, you know, there are so many things Opelka does well on a court that I just don't think John Isner is capable of. Now, there are things John Isner does better on a court right now than Riley Opelka, but I think Riley's going to be able to do all of those things as well, and that's why he continues to be one of the next-gen players who I just think has the highest ceiling. He's one of the, you know, guys I would put in the conversation of potential Grand Slam champion because when it looks good, it looks that good. You know, I still think the serve can get better, the second serve in particular. I think he's going to be become a better volleyer in this match, only 11 of 16, you know, that number's lower than I think it's going to be three, four, five years from now. And then how can you not fall in love with someone whose backhand looks like that, given he's seven feet tall, the forehand's still a little funky, but he took it to a Diego Schwartzman who is always going to make that extra ball, who's going to ask, as I say, every question of you as an opponent. And Riley answered all of those questions. So really good performance, in my opinion, from the big man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, a three and six win a pretty typical Opelka score. Grabs one break, wins and breaker.
0: Yeah, exactly. That if the fact that he blew a break lead in the second set, came back and took it in the second set breaker, that's a sign yep. of growth. That's what we like to see. Uh, another yep. player I always enjoy seeing on court, Arena Sabalenka. I, she was in my, with Ben Rothenberg, one of my most interesting women to watch in New York. Another player who could have always been on that list, someone I discussed in another preview pod, our Dark Horses with Mark Lucero, CeCe Bellis. And it was a really fun match between the two now obviously Bellis former top 30 player in the world one of if not the you know I keep saying this probably the best American junior woman in you know the 21st century with what she accomplished by the time she was 18 finally healthy finally back from injury she pushes Sabalenka to the brink but ultimately Sabalenka six seven uh, six four seven five she gets the victory to move on your thoughts on this match Jamie
1: For me, I mean, look at the scoreline. If you're if you're Bellis here, you got to be decently happy that you kept this this close because Sabalenka she gave herself so many chances. She she produced seventeen break points, um, and listen to CeCe's credit, she saved a ton of them right? She saves 11 out of 17 break points. But when you have that much pressure on you constantly, you know, at some point, for lack of a better word, something's got to break. And so eventually Sabalenka wins this in three sets. But for me, if I'm CC, that's what I'm taking as sort of the silver lining out of this match yeah
0: well if you're cc bellis you're at a significant natural power disadvantage but she's sure. just she's arguably the quickest player on in the women's game she's just so able to, well uh does so well at absorbing your pace at changing directions and you know she played a really tough match as you mentioned she's as fit as anyone she's going to compete as well as anyone the flip side for this if you're sabalenka uh, how many times have you seen sabalenka be up in a match or have chances blow those chances and then ultimately lose the match you know that's what we saw happen to her in Lexington as well. This was a good win for her from a confidence building standpoint. You're right, you know, on a day when you have 17 break point chances versus your opponent's 7 when you're, you know, winning only 23 of 50 points on your second serve and only making 55% of your first serves, it's really easy to get frustrated. That Sabalenka didn't, that she continued to try and hit through and stay aggressive. Uh, a good performance for her from a confidence building standpoint.
1: Yeah, she should feel pretty good about this. This is a good one to have under her belt, and like you said, should give some confidence and potentially momentum moving forward into the open
0: hmm absolutely. Well, a player who certainly has momentum on their side now, Jan-Leonard-Struf, Stroof, 2 really good wins for him over two next-gen players. He knocks off Alex Diemenauer in round one. He follows that up with a very impressive 7-6, 3-6, 6-4 win over Dennis the Rapper Shapovalov uh, in in there. I don't know if he's the rapper. I, I, he probably has a name. It's El Shapo, right? Isn't that right? Anyways, Dennis El Shapo Shapovalov, uh, 7-6, 3-6, 6-4, this is a really good one, Jamie. This is a match, I am sure you're about to say, you look at this number, 93 total points won by both men. One could argue Shapovalov could have won this in straights.
1: Yeah, he definitely could have. And, you know, here's the here's the part where we talk about the Struv-Shapovalov matchup for what seems like the 13th time and, you know, <laughs> uh, not that long. Struv has his number. Yeah, I mean, they played a lot in 2019, and Stroof definitely knows how to beat this guy. Um, granted, like you just said, De- Shapo could have won this, definitely could have gone either way. Um, but ultimately, I mean, Stroof plays a big game. He's not scared of Shapovalov trying to play his big game, um, and, and he knows how to get it done, right? And so it, it's very interesting in this. I would say, for me, disappointing for Shapovalov... Um, But, I mean, look, how how angry can you be at this one? Yes, you had your chances, but such a tight match. Mm -hmm. To me, there's not that much that Shapovalov did wrong. Sure, I mean, there's always some criticism to be had with Shapovalov. Sometimes he goes for some things he probably shouldn't. Um, Sometimes he has some bad misses or some sprays. But, ultimately, Jan Larson deserved to win this match and, and gets it done.
0: Yeah, and look, I'll get to the Shep of Olive side in a second. For Struff, and I tweeted this out yesterday with you in mind because you give me the same advice quite frequently, I don't know if he just needs to go down a shirt size, but a guy that quick... Uh, should reflect that, you know. He seems to be stocky. He seems to be, you know, a guy who and his powerful game reflects that, you know, build. And yet, like a Berrettini, like a Hatchinov, he is just so fluid around the court. I thought he did a really good job making it at that extra ball. Of course, he always does a good job playing big, moving forward. 16 of 26 at the net for Stroof. On the, You know, 24 winners against 33 unforced errors. When you're playing someone like Shapo, you're going to have to take some chances. So that number is, I actually think, pretty good for Struff. For Shapovalov, you know, this net points number doesn't reflect how many times he'd hit a big ball, be moving forward, and Struff would just miss. But 6 of 9 at the net is not enough. And for Shapovalov, 29 winners against 43 unforced errors. 29 of those unforced errors coming on the forehand wing. <sighs> It's tough, right, because that number's not great. But you look for it, Shapovalov served for the first set, played a really sloppy game. He serves for five all in that in that third set, and he makes three forehand errors, misses an easy backhand pass that he really should have made. And there's the set, and there's the break. And the margin for error when you're playing someone like Jan Leonard stroof is that small. And the question for Dennis Shapovalov continues to be, we've seen him play one exceptional match, but can he do it two, three, four times in a row? This was a good match for him, but one he's got to get over the finish line. for, for our, I mean, obviously, he's got to get over the finish line if he wants to take that next step.
1: Yeah, and, and for me, it was Shapovalov. And, and here's the reason I mainly said that Struff deserved to win this yeah, match. Yeah, and because, he did,
0: by the way. I, that was just the yeah. Shapovalov takeaway for me.
1: Well, yeah, so then I'll go straight to this. Shapovalov, I think, just needs a bit more learning on the fact that listen your plan a isn't going to work every single point of every single match it's Mm -hmm. just not you know yes when you're on fire on a hard court and you're just i mean hitting the cover off the ball and it's working perfectly that's great and that's awesome and you know if that can carry you through some matches phenomenal good for you But you're not going to be on fire every match of your life. You're not. And so I think he just needs to take that and really take it to heart and understand that he needs to find more ways to win matches and get through matches. I mean, look at the great players. Look, they're not always at their best, but they know how to hang around, hang tight, and then once their game comes back to the level it needs to be, you know, they can execute properly, they can do different things. And and so he needs to learn how to do that and keep pressure on players like Struff because ultimately where Shabovalov wants to go in his career, he needs to be winning matches like this routinely.
0: Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. Nothing else to say. Uh, yeah, completely agree. And I think it's going to be fun to see how he bounces back in New York. Someone we are all looking forward to see compete in New York, Naomi Osaka, obviously a U.S. Open champion. Uh, she bounced back. Back from a 7-6 first round loss in her first match against Karolina Mukova, a tricky opponent, to win that match 6-7, 6-4, 6-2. Jamie, your thoughts on Osaka's first match back after a five-and-a-half-month layoff.
1: Yeah, I mean, so again, with most of these, I think there's positives and negatives to take away for both. Uh, but generally speaking, I mean, this this would have been a really disappointing one for her to lose. I'll say that. So it, 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 it's, less of a, uh, it's less of a positive that she won it as opposed to it would have been more of a negative if she lost it, if that makes sense. Um, Probably my wording probably wasn't perfect there, but you get my gist, right? It's like, it's not the highest of highs that she wins this, but man, would it have been bad if she ended up losing this match? Um, I think that with a lot of these players, you're not seeing their cleanest performances. You know, I'll say that over and over again, but to me, she looked really good from the ground. Um, I, I I was fairly happy and, you know, with her being the current favorite at the U.S. Open, again, I wouldn't put money down on her, but if I had to pick a favorite, she's probably up there with this performance.
0: No, I completely agree with you. Just for Naomi Osaka to only make 47% of her first serves, but win 81% of those points, win 55% of her second serve points, and just, you know, she only faced three break points on the day. She saved two of them to be only broken once to create nine break points for yourself. She competed really well, and that's what you're looking for in her return. She looks fit as a fiddle. She looks ready. If she, you know, again, the more match tough she becomes, she is absolutely, you can understand why people think, okay, maybe this is a Naomi Osaka Grand Slam time because she's done it twice before. So completely agree with you. Like the way she competed as well. Those were the big breakdowns. There are a couple of other matches just to get through quickly because there are some notable results we haven't even mentioned yet that certainly uh, caught everyone in the tennis world's attention. Dominic team. Two in one loss to Philip Krayinovich. Krayinovich played well, but team went something like twenty six and two in the twenty eight exhibition matches he played over the past five months. No one could accuse Dominic Team of not being match tough and yet he looked lost in this one, Jamie.
1: Yeah, this is probably one of the worst performances I've seen from team and it's really across the board. Um, particularly on the serve though. I mean he served horribly. Multiple double faults, um, First serve percentage right at 56%, only wins 55% of his first serve points, wins 38% of his second serve points. I mean, just really not good, especially from a guy from, like, team who you know usually can get some great points off the first serve. Not only can he bomb it, he can do phenomenal things, getting a first ball set up with a huge kick. I mean, he has so many weapons off the serve, and it just looked so bad today or yesterday now.
0: Yeah. First of all, welcome back to the mini break when you're confusing days. That really means it has been three days in a row. It's good to have you back. Um, Yeah, I I think you nailed it. I have nothing else to add there. I would say I am more concerned with the way Alex Zverev lost than the way Dominic Team lost, because for Dominic Team, just nothing was working today. For Alex Zverev, I've seen him lose that way so many times. Is that a fair way of framing it?
1: Yeah. Let me throw this by you, though. (laughs) Team. Won two points on return. <laughs> two for 34. That's all I have to say. Yeah, nailed it. Although, That's atrocious. Uh,
0: then to that, I will add, it's really funny because someone asked Alex Virev if he was concerned, and in his answer, he goes, well, you know, Dominic lost 2-1 and one today, so uh, yeah, some weird results happened. And I just, I mean, <laughs> come on. Does it get any better than that? Like, how funny. can you not be a fan of Alex Virev? Just... Jump on the bandwagon, folks. There's plenty of room at this point. Um, yeah, that was a notable one. You look at some of the other ones. Uh, Matteo Berrettini, a really fun three-set match with young, talented Emil uh, I, you know, We've talked about Emil Plenty on these podcasts the past couple of days. I thought Berrettini looked pretty good, but Russovori is is ready to be taken seriously now.
1: Yeah, I think this is similar to my take with Shapovalov, though, who ended up losing. Berrettini, if he wants to be even better and better, this has got to be a straight set win for him, um, and that's no disrespect to the guy across the court, but he he's just got to find a way to get this done in straights, in straights, um, and get out of that second set. But it is what it is. Berrettini looks fit. It looks like he's slimmed down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe that's you know his new way of, of really trying to push into the top 10 and stay there and become a household name in that regard but no I mean well I'll continue to look at Berrettini see how he progresses through this draw I think he needs what do I say let's say he needs a headline win for some big momentum in the U.S. Open because a win like this is great yeah great to get through another round but for him to really build some confidence I think he needs a win over a big name yeah I mean
0: I I think that's fair to say I will also say first match back Good to see him compete this way. Um, sure. Good to see him scrape out a win because Rusevori certainly, I think he was up a break in the third. Like He could have won that match, and Berrettini managed to claw yeah. his way back. So that's a really good win for him. Uh, the other three set matches on the day was the only other one, John Isner knocking off John Millman, 4-6-7-6-7-6. Six, seven, six, seven, six. I think we all know exactly what that match looked like. So to go through the rest of the day's men's results, Medvedev over Giron, Hatchinov a really good win over PCB that first set, 10-8 in the breaker, Hatchnov took it, it was a really high level of play in that first set, you know, Fuchevich, oh, that was the other one, Fuchevich, three-set win over Dimitrov, he continues to play well, Uh Badene over Fritz, 6-5, and five. not a good day for Taylor Fritz, Rayonich, straight sets over Evans, it was exactly what you thought, that served just too much for the Evans backhand to overcome, uh, your thoughts on the rest of the day's uh, men's results.
1: Yeah, I mean, some interesting ones. I think one that I'll call out, Djokovic ends up winning over Barankis, 7-6, 6-4. But credit to Barankis here for staying in this match and keeping it tight, uh, because how many times have we seen Djokovic just get on fire and roll, roll through a match like this, 2-2? Two and two? Um, Yeah, There was a lot of competition in this match, and honestly, Barankis had his chances. Djokovic just ultimately too good.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Ooh, I, I don't even think I mentioned that one. That was another one that we saw on the day. Djokovic, 7664 over Barankis. Yeah, I mean, for Djokovic, the neck issue, am I slightly concerned? Yeah, slightly concerned, but I, the way he snapped back to reality, sorry, Eminem, uh, but I am from the D as well, so I suppose it's okay. Um, it just he was down a break right 4-2 in that second set and then he just woke up and you're like oh there he is uh and he even mentioned he's like these courts are playing really quickly but Novak Djokovic undefeated in ATP matches in 2020. I think that fact continues to speak for itself. To go through the rest of the women's matches yesterday because there were some other notable results. You talk about the other three-set matches. Diana Yastrzemska, another one of my favorites to watch. Most interesting players here over these three weeks in New York. Really tricky three-set win for her over Bernarda Pera. You look at some other ones uh, as Elise Mertens. Three-set win for her over Kiki Mladenovic. The other win. Winners on the day, Pegula in straights over Anisimova, Kanta in straights over Flipkins, Mikhail, Zvonareva, Sakari Kanteve, uh, and Victoria Azarenka, all winners as well. Your thoughts on the rest of the women's matches.
1: Um, the one I'd talk about a little bit would be Jabor over Keys. I mean, I think she just had such great control over Madison Keyes in this match. Gets the straight set so wins, 6-4, 6-1. Um, you know, unfortunate to see for Madison Keyes. Of course, you're rooting for her, especially on courts that are playing quicker. You think she can impose her game a bit, but Jabor just, I mean, she just had control of this one from start to finish. You know, even when Madison Keys was able to rip a few big shots, Jabour was able to control the pace, coming up with some big shots of her own, but also playing the cat and mouse, the cheeky slices, that sort of game, really throwing off the rhythm of keys. So an interesting one to watch there, and you know, I have a lot of confidence in her game moving forward. Yeah, it was a
0: great result for Jabour. I forgot her match ended uh, today, so her result was on the other page. That was the nightcap as well. You know, the notable ones for me, Jastrzemska, a player I've been high on, another three-set up-and-down win for her for Conteve, another player who we've talked about a lot here on these mini break the past couple of weeks. Uh, straight set win over Jill Teichman, who's obviously been playing so well. Uh, that's a that's a really good win for Conteve and to see her and Sakari and Mertens all advance, that's what I wanted out of this generation of 24 25 year olds and they're making their move. So that might be the group I am most confident about right now heading into the US Open, but that might also be a little bit of confirmation bias on my part. Anyways, We still get to have a couple more days of sample size through this Western Southern Open to gather our data before we have to make our picks for the U.S. Open. It's going to be another really fun day of matches here, Jamie, uh, as we look at Tuesday's slate of play. Uh, Give me your 3-2 watch on the men's and women's side.
1: I think, for, I think one for sure, you, you alluded to it earlier, but Djokovic-Sandgren, uh, slated to go on at 3 p.m. Eastern. I think that one is going to be really, really interesting. You mentioned that Sandgren's in great form. I think he'll bounce back and not have quite the amount of errors that he did against FAA, but he'll still have that locked-in competition. So really eager to see how that one goes, especially since we didn't see Djokovic necessarily at his sharpest uh, yesterday. Um, I think another one on the men's side that's going to be really interesting coming up soon, actually, hachinov and Batista Agut, um, I think that one's going to be, I mean, really, who knows what that one will hold, except for the fact that you know there's going to be some high right, highlight reel shots, you know there's going to be some grinds from the baseline, um, so really interested to see how that one goes, and and for me, if Hatchinov gets this one under his belt, I mean, I think he's got to be feeling really good about the possibility of a deep run um, come U.S. Open time.
0: Yeah, that Hatchinov RBA match is fascinating to me, because in my, you know, I'm, been a big time, we call him Kachinov, but for Karen Hachinov, he's a guy who, you know, right when you start to think he's playing well, it's uh, it's tough, right, because then he'll throw in a stinker. I think he has played really well this week. I think he's stuck to the basics. He's done the things and kept it simple that he's best at. Big serves, big forehands, make matches physical. He's done that these first two matches. Now, RBA is a whole nother monster. He's going to have to, you know, take some chances, take it to another level, understand that there's going to be times when RBA is going to get you in uncomfortable situations. How he handles that adversity will be really interesting to see. You know, Struf Gofen, I'm all in on. Berrettini, Opelka, take my 20 bucks. Isner, Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas has to play Isner, Anderson back-to-back in his first two matches. I just think that's hilarious. But yeah, make the case for any match but Medvedev-Bedene on the men's side. I will be watching it. On the women's side... So many good matches as well. I mean, Sakari Williams, Kontavej Buzkova, Yastremska, Osaka in a battle for Sasha Bajin, you know, who's now with Yastremska was with Osaka. That's a really fun one. I think even Pagula, you know, Sabalenka's really fun. It's a really great slate of action.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One that I would say is really interesting to me is Azarenka and Cornet. Um A few reasons, I think, obviously Cornet coming off a, a pretty good win, but Azarenka, to me, this is a good test for her. You know, we talk about someone like a Cole Schreiber being a litmus test on the men's side. I think someone like Cornet can fill that role on the WTA side. So is Azarenka really back and able to get to that top level? I don't know. We'll find out. And if she can win a match like this, get through it cleanly. Someone like Corne is going to be scrappy, make you hit three, four extra balls. If she can get through a match like this, then... Uh, I don't know, again, sort of the theme here, a bit more confidence going into US Open.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really, it's going to be a really interesting, really fun day of action. And again, if you have missed out on any of the action or you want to hear our picks for day four, please go check out our GSP Ace of the Day. You can see the abridged version on our YouTube channel. You can also see my smiling face. I think making eye contact with me will make you more convinced that my picks are correct. So I highly recommend it in that form. But of course, you can listen to it on the Great Shot podcast as well. And we'll be covering all of the action in New York. On, the video, on YouTube, on our podcast, and of course, on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Be sure to check out all of our New York content there. We are going to be working our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel West off to the bone. And shout out to the both of them, as always, who have a fuck of an editing job to do. And Jamie, I do want to give you the final word uh, on this Western and Southern, and then I have one last thing I have to do here. Uh, so your final thoughts on day three's action.
1: Well, just like yesterday, we should probably stop talking and go start watching. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, no, I think final word, the one I didn't get in before, I want to see if Murray can compete with Brownich. That's my last thought.
0: No, I, I like that take as well. Well, then, my last two thoughts. One... Be sure to go save a big thank you to our supporters, Midwest Sports and Aerobar, Sports.com right now. They're giving a Western and Southern Open giveaway. Free rackets, a chance to win four free tickets to the 2021 Western and Southern Open. You want to give uh, yourself a chance at free stuff, so go sign up on MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15 while you're there as well. Aerobar, the promo code is CRACK15, the only tennis-specific energy bars in the business. And then the last thing... You know, I, I, I joked about it at the top. This is an Alex Gruskin production. More than anything else, though, this is a Laura Gruskin production. And just so you know, Jamie, just so our listeners know, Laura Gruskin, my loving mother, who you're never going to find a more supporting mom. You can't become someone like me who's willing to fire off a bad joke every 30 seconds unless you have a mother who supports you through all those bad jokes and says, you know, Alex, be yourself. Do the thing you love to do. And just so you know, Jamie, and all of our Crack Rackets fans know, it's my loving mother Birthday. So happy birthday to you, Mom. I know more than anyone else, you have listened to every podcast episode we have produced here at crack Rackets. You continue to support us, you continue to support me. I love you very much. So, West Off, give me a happy birthday sound effect. Happy birthday. Sorry for that, Jamie. Every so often I gotta throw one of those in because you know.
1: Well, no, Greskin, that was cute. Funny enough, I don't know if I'll be on the pod, so I was gonna save it, but in case I'm not on the pod tomorrow. Funny enough, guess whose birthday it is tomorrow? That's my mother, Debbie McDonald, (laughs) August 26th, coming in. So thanks to Debbie. A huge shout-out there. Hopefully I'll get to give her the uh, birthday equivalent shout-out that you just did um, tomorrow. But in case I don't, Debbie – birthday tomorrow man the august 25th and 26th combo that's good stuff
0: i knew we had something in common it's starting to make more and more sense there it is but yes happy birthday to you mrs mcdonald as well i don't mind saying it i love you too you know you're the support we need as well i can't do any of this without jamie and there's no jamie without you so thank you very much and happy birthday to you mrs mcdonald as well but with that being said for my wonderful co-host james foster mcdonald our super producers max flaker and daniel Westhoff, our friends at midwest Sports and AeroBar, our loving mothers Laura and Debbie, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people?
1: Nah, it's a break,
0: and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.